This is an ABC podcast. Benjamin, where are the stories? When are the stories? Where are the stories? Whomst are the stories? We are the stories. Why are stories? Wherefore the stories? Here on RN. Stop everything, folks, and get ready for some stories because Beverly Wang and I, Benjamin Law, have been temporarily released from our basement studio prisons and we're coming to you live from the Brisbane Writers' Festival! Beverly Wang. Yes, Benjamin. Are Law. the rumours true? Is this your first time in this fair city? This is my virgin visit to the Pineapple State. Wow. It and is. I have heard that you have been completely seduced, charmed, and intoxicated by my former home city. I love Brisbane, otherwise known as Mianjin. The beautiful warm air warming my skin upon landing, the lush green foliage, mm-hmm. the delightful, friendly people. Thank you so much for coming out today at the Brisbane Writers' Festival. And uh, I'm so pleased to uh, be here with Ben and our guests. And before we begin, we want to acknowledge the Turbo and Yagara people, the traditional owners of the land where we're gathered today. And we pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and future, and any First Nations people here today. Now, if you want to tweet along or post stories during the show, you can use the hashtags StopEverything and Brisbane Writers' Festival. We've got two wonderful guests today, two delightful and joyous self-declared nerds who've dedicated their working lives to connecting with and writing for young people and as a result they are both very much in touch with their own inner children. (laughs) Our first guest is a YA author and former editor-at-large for BuzzFeed Australia where she wrote about everything from pop culture to feminism to Chris Hemsworth's biceps. Please welcome Jenna Guillaume. (laughs) Thank you. Hello. Happy to be here. And our second guest is Oliver Pomavan. He is a uh, young middle years writer, a former primary school teacher, a stand-up comedian, and his latest books include Natural Born Loser and Don't Follow V. Please welcome Oliver Pomavan. Now, Oliver, let's start with you, because you are a former teacher. That's right, yeah. And uh, you spend so much time talking to kids, because you basically travel the country doing workshops, doing school visits, even internationally. So when did you know that you wanted to make making stuff for kids and writing stuff for your kids? When did you realize that that, that was going to be your path? Uh, I think for me, like, I always wanted to be a writer. So, you know, I grew up on a, on a diet of, like, Andy Griffiths, Paul Jennings, Roald Dahl books, Morris Gleitzman. And so I knew I wanted to make people laugh because I was always a class clown back at school. But I never got into writing for kids until after I became a primary school teacher because the one thing that I learned doing a writing degree is that you need a backup job because (laughs) there's no guarantee of being a success. So everyone said, why don't you do it with your bed? And a lot of people decided to do high school teaching and be English teachers. But I didn't want to get bashed, so I went to primary school where I can taller than the kids, well, most of them anyway. Um, and I thought, oh, it would be a lot, a lot of fun. So I did that for one year, full time, absolutely loved it, and I thought, okay, I'm still a big kid myself, I'm going to have a go run for kids. And so I um, haven't looked back since then. 
Yeah. Jenna, you went straight from university to writing features for Girlfriend magazine. I, I think you and I have something in common in that we're kind of glossy magazine nerds. Why glossy magazines for teens and which ones were you obsessed with growing up? Well, I was, I, lo I loved Dolly and Girlfriend growing up, but I wasn't allowed to read them. <gasps> Why not? Well, because they had like sex stuff in there oh. and everything. And my mum was like, no, you're too young for that. So you would so, surreptitiously read them? Yeah, or do I you went have to any the school access? library to read them. They were in the school library, so that was great. Um, <laughs> or like I'd go to a friend's house, um, and then I graduated to like Cleo and Cosmo, mm. but my mum would go through and she'd tear out all the pages that had sex on them. So I had about three pages left by the end of that. Um, but yeah, so I, I loved magazines and I really wanted to get into magazines, and um, I think my mum thought it was hilarious that I ended up writing the sealed section for Girlfriend magazine because I wasn't allowed to read it. Okay, can yeah. you just lead us through that? Because the sealed section always presented to me something like illicit that my older sisters had and I'll just like peek through it. Yeah. What was like the first sealed section that you wrote or what were you writing about? I think masturbation. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, um, I, I, from memory, I like, I wrote a lot. I was there for five years and I wrote it every month. So um, it was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of masturbation, a lot of periods, um, a lot of STI kind of features. Yeah, lots of fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now, Girlfriend and Dolly aren't with us any longer, are they? They're still Ooh. in digital form. Right. Um, and I think Girlfriend comes out about four times a year. Dolly doesn't have a physical presence anymore. But um, yeah, they're still, the brands are still out there, which is nice. It is sad that they're not print anymore, but yeah. And as you've become a non-teenager, but you continue to write for teenage audiences, how do you keep abreast of what young people are interested in generally? I think I have the pop culture taste of a 17-year-old and I haven't really graduated from that, so I just follow my own passions, really. <laughs> How about you, Oliver? You're nodding as Jenna says that she's still got the pop culture taste of a 17-year-old. You spent time with kids to kind of, I don't know, get some research exposure. How do you maintain that connection with kids? How do you even make sure that what you're writing is resonating with that young audience? You know, it's kind of funny because um, I guess, you know, things are always timeless, like embarrassment, <laughs> uh, social awkwardness, yeah. mm. um, you know, being a geek, um, being the outsider, being left out of field. And so I find those things will never go away. It's just that um, some of the means change. But I'm very <laughs> thankful because I grew up in the, the 80s and early 90s and some things just never go out of vogue, like, like, like Nintendo, Pokemon, Sonic, Star Wars, Marvel. Like these are things that our future kids will be hopefully playing or reading in the future as well. So it's quite, it's quite fascinating actually because Pokemon for the longest time um, was just sort of shelved back and I would have all my plushies out there for my school talks, all these Pokemon, no one would know anything about it. And then Pokemon Go happened and then all of a sudden kids are like, oh wow, that's a Charmander, that's a Pikachu. And then the whole wave starts again. So it's just like I sit back and just I realize that... Um, I was there in the original state. You know, back in my day, I knew the original Pokemon. We had a Game Boy, you had to put double A batteries into it. You had to use like a, a wire instead of wireless. Oh, I remember tough. I had the yeah. original brick, brick Game Boy. Yeah, yep. same. So it was just like, yeah. And I wish I still had it, in fact. Um, but you must be the kind of person who never feels awkward talking to kids. You always have an icebreaker, hey? Yeah, I always do. Look, you know, I think... Um, because I was the awkward one, so I, I, all my books, I want to be a voice for the weird kids out there. So for me, I'm happy to break the ice. And usually I have a whole lot of toys 
on, on a table as the kids come in. And so that's always a good conversation starter. Um, I always find that the kids who never really speak up um, during talks or never really speak up at all during class, they would actually come up and, and touch one of my like Charmander toys or Pikachu toys and go, oh, yeah, this is a Charmander. And then that's the conversation starting from there. And so, yeah, so they start opening up from there. How about you, Jenna? Because your book, What I Like About Me, is written from the perspective of a teenager named Maisie Martin. And she's grudgingly and quite hilariously keeping something called a discovery journal for her summer homework. Did you know straight away that you wanted to write in a journal format? I didn't. Initially, it was straightforward prose, and I went back and forth with past tense, present tense, and all of that kind of stuff, and I couldn't quite find the voice. And it wasn't until um, I was at my parents' place and my dad forced me to clean out my year 12 uh, notebooks in my schoolwork and I found an, a, a school homework assignment where I'd had to keep a journal. Um, and in that journal, I was quite... Um, snarky and sarcastic and I was really shocked at myself that I had handed this in and like kind of said stuff about the teacher and that you know school was terrible and all of this so that inspired me to um, try that with what I like about me and that really helped me unlock the voice and as soon as I did that um, Maisie kind of came alive on the page. Is this one of the big challenges for both of you as YA writers to unlock the voice? Because I imagine a lot of people look at kids writing and teens writing and think, well, it's aimed for a younger audience, so therefore it must be easier writing. Whereas I imagine that writing from an adult, from an adult brain for a younger readership comes mm. with challenges. What are those challenges, Jenna? Uh, yeah, it's really hard because um, you have to... The teens are not an easy audience and they will call you on your BS. Like, they, they're not afraid to tell you, like, that's not, that's not it. Like, so, you know, and I think there's nothing worse than um, being an adult talking down to teenagers and, like, they can, they can smell that a mile away and they don't like that. And so you really want to capture that authentic voice and um, talk to them and for them, not not just um, like, here's a lesson that I want you to learn. Like, mm. I want to tell a story that readers will enjoy and feel seen in. What about you, Oliver? What are the technical challenges of writing for a younger readership? Um, I think it's just keeping up with the lingo because, mm. you know, like people would say all these things, like, you know, like memes, for example, and like even like the whole current thing with like, you know, I read it Area 51, all that kind of stuff. Like That, <laughs> that kind of thing is going to date in like four days time, you know, so yeah. yes. how do we put that into um, a mm. book? And so I have to sort of take a step back and, and realize that all they're doing is just making fun of one another. And so um, I, I look at humor from a sort of like a, a general point of view. And so I just focus on the characters more than the language itself. But I'm quite lucky because I write for um, sort of like they're like 12, 13, on the, on the cusp of uh, puberty and high school and angst and all that kind of stuff. They're still at a state of wonder. They've still got a sense of innocence. They know a lot, but they, know, they don't know a lot at the same time. So um, as a narrator, I'm able to sort of pull back when um, to reveal certain things for them. And so for me, it's uh, a, li a little bit more easier because I, I use that curiosity and it's sort of milk it for what it's worth. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about the memes and everything. I think that's yeah. one of the biggest challenges is um, obviously teens are so, use the internet constantly, pop culture is 
so important to their lives, but it also moves so quickly. Mm. Um, I had references in my book that, by the, like when I started writing it in, say, 2015, by the time I was editing it in 2017, that was, so, um, was so out of date, and it was just like, what do I do? I think that's why a lot of YA ends up, um, you know, it's kind of a cliche to have these teen characters who are obsessed with, like, nostalgic things. It's like, it's already dated, so we may as well just put it in there. Yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> do either of you have, like, test teen readers that you run things past to uh, make sure that it's fresh, that it's really connecting, Oliver? Um, I'm quite lucky, because I, I visit schools um, most of the year, and it is a bit like market research. Hey, kids, what are you guys into? What kind of language do you use? Uh, do you like reading books still? Uh, do you like reading at all? Um, can, can you read? Um, no. um, <laughs> But um, yeah, so I, 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 what, what, but I don't make it explicit though. What I do is I just sort of like hang around kids. And being a, being a writer who can visit schools is great because um, it's legal. And, um, and, it also, and also it's not as creepy as it sounds as well. So, um, but it's really cool because I just hang around them I'm and sure talk to them. I'm sure you have your working with children, Chad. <laughs> oh. It didn't sound creepy until nah, you said that. Exactly. No, not, not until you think about it afterwards. afterwards. Um, Hindsight's kind of funny, but um, but it's true. I just hang with kids and I, I talk to them, and then I go back and then I go, oh yeah, I, I hear a voice coming from those kids, and I, I meld all those voices together into my characters. Mm. Mm. Hey Jenna, earlier we heard uh, Oliver's kind of referencing Paul Jennings and Roald Dahl, Morris Gleitzman, these kind of uh, authors that really inspired you and you were obsessed with growing up. What, who were those writers for you? I definitely loved Paul Jennings and. Um, and then Martin, the Babysitters Club, I was obsessed with. But mm. I think, like, for the biggest influence in terms of my own writing was definitely Melina Marquetta and Looking mm. for Ala Brandi. Like, mm. I read that constantly, like, multiple times a year throughout my high school years. And I think I always found something different when I, um, when I reread it. And it helped me in different ways at different points in my high school career. Mm. Yeah. And Melina Marchetti has written a really lovely blurb for the cover I of know. your book. That was actually the highlight of Did the Did you know that was coming? Well, I, I knew we had asked her, and when she agreed to do it, I, I literally screamed. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. This was, and she said it was funny, and she loved it, and I was just like, this is like... That, that was better than the actual book deal, <laughs> I think. So, so as a tangent, though, because this is an intersection of two of your prime interests, is YA... Yeah and also reality TV, which if you don't follow Jenna on Twitter, please follow her. She's a continuous font of pop culture information. Um, do you follow Pia Miranda and her exploits on Survivor? Look, I, I am following it through uh, social media only because I just haven't had the time to watch Survivor. I really wanted to because I love her and um, I, I was really excited to see her back on TV, but um, I just, because of like Writers Festival and I'm on deadline for my second book as well. I okay. Yeah. I just love that it kind of plays out like looking for Alibrandi, the post-apocalypse years <laughs> where you have to find other people for yeah. food. Um, one of the things that you're doing uh, when you talk about your books is you're engaging directly with your readers, with, with teenagers, young people. It's one of the reasons you're at the Brisbane Writers Festival. As I've been at the Brisbane Writers Festival talking about um, an anthology called Growing Up Queer, there's also a book called Kindred. One of the great things is talking to young people and getting them to ask questions and it makes me think as we talk about those two books um, these are sessions that we wouldn't have had 10 years ago talking about sexuality and gender with teenagers what are the questions that you get asked from teenagers where you think wow some things have changed and some things haven't changed at all Jenna 
I think teenagers now are just so much more switched on than like I ever was at high school. I think um, like just in terms of intersectionality and being aware of um, you know, a really diverse range of issues. Um, they're so smart. So, I mean, for me, a lot of it, because my book's about um, body positivity and that kind of thing, so I get a lot of questions about um, body confidence and trying to build themselves up and build each other up, which is really lovely because I think that wasn't really a conversation that I had as a teenager. Um, it was just kind of like, um, you know, I mean, it was sometimes in the magazines, but it was very much just like everyone was out for themselves, I suppose. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like I love... Teenagers just have such positive energy, and I think they get a lot of flack for, like, not being interested in anything, but it's quite the opposite. Even the fact mm. they even know what a term like intersectionality means, yes. the intersections of yep. being different kinds of minorities and yes. identities. I had the same question the other day yeah. during growing up queer in Australia. How yep. can we be allies? How can we support yeah. queer people of colour? These are concepts I wasn't even aware of. No, no, I wouldn't have had any idea. What, what about you, Oliver? What kind of questions do you get asked? Um, you know, a lot of questions come from, like, you know, being being a geek and being a nerd. And, you know, is it okay to be a nerd? Aren't you're afraid you're going to get teased or anything like that. So I had a lot of questions about bullying. Um, I, I always get a, a special kick when I visit schools that have a predominant Asian population in, in their schools. And so I've got a lot of Asian kids come up to me and ask me if I, if I like K-pop. Um, but the other ones ask me, oh, but, you know, how do you feel about your mum or dad? Like, you know, did they like you wanting to be a comedian? Did they like you being a writer? Mm. Did they want you to be a lawyer or a doctor instead? And Accountant I said, yes, story in my life. Yes, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote two books about that. And, um, and so, yeah, so those conversations I have, and it's, it's really cool because, um, you know, Back in my day, uh, <laughs> we, we, we didn't have anyone to look up to, like in terms of like Asian Australians up there on screen or on the page. And now, thanks to Ben and myself and, and many others out there, there were so many other voices out there. So I'm happy to, to wave that flag and let other kids know, especially the Asian kids, that you, know, you, you can actually make this happen and you can actually write and do it for a living. Hmm. This is Stop Everything coming live from the Brisbane Writers Festival. <laughs> I'm Beverly Wang with Ben Law, of course. Oliver Pomavan and Jenna Guillaume are our wonderful guests today. Now, Oliver, your recent book, Don't Follow V, takes on a very contemporary conundrum. It follows a young girl named, named V and her quest to stop her mother from documenting her life on Instagram. I think yes. anybody on social media these days, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, if you have friends with kids, if you have kids, you know this is a real thing. Right, that this this phenomenon of sharing it didn't mm. even exist a few years ago. Speaking of questions and issues that didn't exist in the you know national conversation a few years ago, do you hear these kinds of concerns from kids about uh, how their parents are sharing their lives? Yeah, for sure. And I think that that was the spark for Don't Follow Me because I was in I was in the car on the and I heard on the radio that that Facebook is officially a teenager now. This year, Instagram is 10 years old, and I thought, wow, that's, that's fascinating because, you know, all, all my friends who've got kids, like the ultrasound is yes. up there before they're mm. born, yes. and it's a hashtag, and it's become like, I, I know a kid who has more followers than me, and he's only four years old. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, how is he getting more likes than me? He's just got a banana smoothie on his face. I can't believe it. I, mean, I know he's cute, but anyway. Maybe but, that's uh, what you need to do, to smush banana. Exactly. Like, what right. has he published? I know, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, but um, it's, it's true. We have this fascination, and you know, back in my day, um, <laughs> my mum would take a photo of me and put him into photo albums, mm. and you know, whenever my friends would come over, she would bring 
the mad lock oh your hair's all over in the bathtub naked <laughs> I'm like seriously mom stop it um, but those just my friends and my family but now it's, it's everywhere and I can just and you know I always ask kids hands up if you ask your parents to take those photos down would they take them down and a lot of them said no they wouldn't take them down because they'll be like oh you know it's just my close friends but their close friends are like 400, 400 people so um, so yeah so those questions of, of like oversharing is something that I actually did get a lot of feedback from the other kids. And so Veronica's life, um, it, it is. Because I, I know kids now who are in year six and year seven who want to have their own profile, but a lot of their past digital life has already been up there thanks to their mm. parents. And mm. So this kind of tension between wanting their own profile and getting rid of the old one, yeah, is, is, was definitely a big motivation. I feel quite chilled actually hearing you recount stories of real-life children living this conundrum. I don't know, Jenna, what do you think? Yeah, it's quite scary. I think I think that as well. Even with celebrities, kids sometimes, I'm like, Busy Phillips, I love Busy Phillips on Instagram, but she has just documented like her kids' lives like from the time they were born. And um, Okay, for those of us who don't know who Busy oh, Phillips sorry. is, which isn't me, I'm just speaking of the audience, can you give us a bit of a 101? Who is Busy Creek. Phillips? Busy Phillips is an actress, but, um, you know, she she recently had her own late night show, but it mm. was cancelled, but she she's probably most well known for Cougar town or um, she was on Dawson's Creek mm-hmm. back in the day, Freaks and Geeks. And she has a really big Instagram presence because she um, she was one of the early adopters of stories, Instagram stories. Mm. And she um, would just she just started documenting her life and she's talked about it. She wrote a book and she talked about how she was at a really low point um, in her life and quite depressed and she didn't have um, any career things going on. So she just started talking to Instagram and she got all these followers. And so she's very engaging. I think people like her because she's like a relatable celebrity. Um, but yeah, she's like constantly, her daughter's lives are just up there every day. And mm. I mean, they seem comfortable with it, but I just think in 10 years time, are they going to be um, like, why did you put all that embarrassing stuff up? Now this is fascinating. Mm. From one angle, it's about the, the younger person who doesn't have any consent about the way in which their information is shared. Mm. On the other hand, I get the, I, I think that the four of us talking kind of span between Gen X and millennials, millennials being the first digital natives, but now we've got Gen Z and that's the primary audience and readership of your books and they're really, really into YouTube fame, YouTubing mm. fame. Do you get this a lot from your readers talking about YouTubers uh, and is that necessarily a good path for them to follow? Well, yeah, I do. I mean, for me, because I worked at BuzzFeed, as soon as people hear BuzzFeed, they're like, oh, wow, because they, but I wrote for BuzzFeed and they like to watch BuzzFeed, so I'm like, I will not that part of BuzzFeed, but, you know, it gets me some cool points. I think, um, look, I think it can be a great outlet for cre- creativity and um, exploring their own identity and that kind of thing, but there are obviously risks involved and they're exposing themselves to um, you know potentially a really wide audience that are you know and YouTube comments are like the worst part of the internet or one of the worst parts of the internet so it is quite worrying I think how about you Oliver yeah like you know one of my characters actually wants to be a YouTuber and um his, his name's Hassan, and he wants to be a professional gamer because you can earn millions of dollars just playing Fortnite if you wanted to. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I ask kids what they want to be now. They want to be an Instagrammer, a YouTuber, and then I put on my writing hat on and go, well, you know what? Being a writer is like being an old-school Instagrammer <laughs> or YouTuber. We just get our passions and we just shoehorn them into stories instead. Um, and so they go, oh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. But, yeah, I, I embrace it. You know, I think it's, um, there's something really exciting and, and, and fascinating about these kids who are blogging and YouTubing but at the same time, it, there, there is the ugly side of things with the comments and all that kind of thing. But it's also going to help them build resilience. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm embracing it. So, yeah. But do you ever, 
as, as, as the kid in you, you're relating to them as the grown-up in you. Do you ever sort of have the, you know, back in my day, to quote you, <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah. a bit of caution? Like, do you ever feel like you want to give warnings or do you actually, what's your policy? Do you, do you give advice or do you just listen? Yeah, you know, it, it, is, it is hard because it's almost like, it's almost like listening, um, it's almost like you, when you, you, you've beaten a game and they've just started and you're like, oh, should I tell them about this part or should I, spoilers or that kind of thing. And I, 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 I sort of hang back because I want them to follow their own path because I don't want to be, um, yeah, sort of giving them any, any doubt or any, any um, sort of um, anxiety, I guess, because everyone's different, you know. They, they might skim through the first years of their life and then their problems hit afterwards. Other people get them early on. So it's kind of like writing stories, I guess. Like every character's journey is always going to be quite unique. So I would, I would only give them advice if they ask me, I think. So, yeah. Mm. Jenna, anyone with uh, young kids in their life is probably watching, say, a lot of Bluey at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, there is that kind of reverse education when you hang out with young people. What kind of pop culture are you exposed to in, when you engage with younger readers? What are they teaching you about the world of pop culture? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, like I said, I do have the pop culture taste of a 17-year-old. So you're already so there. I feel like I'm already there. I don't know if they're teaching me so much as just connecting, which is a lot of fun. Um, I'm a huge fan of BTS, so... Anyway. Oh, tell us about BTS. <laughs> oh, my God. I could talk about BTS all day. Okay, this let's is, do, like, take it right it. from the top. Take it from the Wikipedia entry okay. version. So BTS are a K-pop band and one of the biggest bands in the world right now. Um, and the seven of them, they're all incredible. They... They have a message about loving yourself. You know, they've got a huge. They've got a huge fan base in huge. Australia as well. Yeah. Like when there's any news about BTS, like it will be the number one trend on Twitter. Yeah, mm. yeah. The the fan base is called Army. Um, they've got like 22 million followers on Twitter, and it's um, it, yeah. Their names are trending constantly. Like every time they upload a photo, it's like they're trending. <laughs> and how like with with that particular demographic of BTS fans? Like yeah. if you went into most Australian schools, they would know who you were talking about. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Yeah. And I think I also love um, you know. To all the boys I've loved before and love Simon and those kind of movies and Riverdale I begrudgingly watch it's pretty terrible but uh, <laughs> um, I still keep up with that and even stuff like The Bachelor teens are really into The Bachelor as well. Do you notice when you go into schools and you're talking to kids and you're, you're doing your, 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 your research bystander research are you and they're BTS fans, but do you notice whether uh, the flow of pop culture is becoming more international, kind of, we have this idea that Western pop culture kind of goes outwards and influences the world, but as we can see with K-pop and BTS, mm. we are the receivers. Do you see any other places where uh, international, uh, non-English speaking pop culture is coming and influencing us here with kids? Um, you know, I think Japanese anime has mm. always been in bubbling under, but now it's just like straight to the forefront. Like, and so a lot of kids ask me if I'm into anime or manga, and I did watch a whole ton when I was a kid, and I still watch it every now and then. But they always ask me, "Oh, have you seen you know like fairy tale? Have you seen this? Have you seen that?" I've said that that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I find that because the world's smaller now, thanks to the internet and, and YouTube and all that kind of stuff, it it really does give kids a chance to actually taste across a whole range of international things. You don't have to go to an international section anymore of a store. It's basically the whole thing there. And um, just one thing about BTS, because I'm, I'm a massive boy band fan. I grew up on like, you know, like Human Nature, yeah. Backstreet Boys, Boyzone, Westlife. And um, I'm into 1D, uh, yes. I still respect 1D. Um, Why Don't We is my favorite boy band at the moment. I love Why Don't We. We're gonna, I'm going to be watching them in November. And to see BTS, like they've 
like it's just so fascinating to see all these kids who may not understand what they're saying, yeah, but mm. still get caught up in it. And for me, that's just like a like an an important moment. To, what do you yeah. think uh, K-pop band culture brings to pop music? And, and like pop music stardom that we don't see like among the sort of American pop stars that we proliferate. I think secretly K-pop and J-pop to an extent has been ahead of the game for so long now. And so, um, and also um, I love the fact that they love the physical media. Mm-hmm. I think because, you know, if you're, um, my, my wife's into K-pop back, back in the day, um, <laughs> you know, things like, like, like Rain, for example, who's a oh, massive, yes. yep, yep, massive um, back in the day. And, and, like, and there'll, there'll be bands of like, you know, Big Bang as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting flashbacks now to that, you know, 17 Going people on stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, like, they bring out these lovely, like, physical albums with the CD and like a 25-page a, a booklet for each member. Oh, wow. Signed, like, almost like a journal. And, like, and they, the fans just, just lap it up. And so I find that um, it's a little bit old school in terms of like what they've done with physical media. But at the same time, the way with the social media things, it's like you've, if you've, never felt any, you've never felt any more closer to any of your pop stars, thanks to all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They've got like the whole package. There's the, the fashion, the music, mm. the choreography is incredible, the physical albums and then the social media. They're so, you know, connected on social media and constantly updating. So it's really, um, and they create this community around them, which is really fun to be part of. Now, we've been talking about the challenges and joys of writing for young people with Oliver Pomervan and Jenna Guillaume. Um, now we're talking about fandom, and I think this is now a pretty good time to move on to the show and tell portion of yes. the show. We were also talking about the ways in which international pop culture has come into the West. I think Pokemon is probably one of the most uh, significant, iconic examples of that. Oliver, I noticed there your notepad has Pikachu, on there. I'm expecting there might be Pokemon paraphernalia in your... What is that? Well, is that Oliver like has, a spider Well, he's got a huge... Bring it out, Oliver. Yeah. Let's take a look. So okay. Oliver has an enormous tote bag. Not even... It's bigger than a tote bag. It's like a travel bag. It's the and size of a, of, a poo, of a large poof. You know, that's and, how you yes. rest your I'm not referring to myself. I'm referring to furniture. <laughs> and it's actually filled to the brim with plush toys. And Oliver is now going to unpack some for us. Yes. So... so take it away. Uh, you know, speaking about Pokemon, they celebrated like um, 20 years, a couple years ago. And so... Massive Pokemon fan, love the anime, love the original games, and this is my, I'm a massive Pikachu fan. And mm-hmm. so Wait, is that your phone my, case? Wait, is that your a phone case? Is that or is that, uh, this is actually, <gasps> a, um, oh, okay. this is a limited edition 2DS, which is like kind of like a Game Boy updated, okay. um, but Pikachu edition, which is so quite he, nice. the entire, just to, just to, you know, visually lead people on a journey, the whole face, the whole cover is Pikachu's <laughs> face, the whole console is bright yellow, you are playing, you're effectively playing on his face. That's right, exactly, so his buttons are also the colour of his tail as well. Is Pikachu he? Uh, uh, a they, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's right. Because you, in, in Pokemon, you can get them, like, you know, or you can mix genres and kind of, uh, yeah. genders as well. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Um, so and there's a little kind of like little nose up Pikachu there. Pikachu, well, I'm sorry. Cute. Oh, Pokemon, yes. Pardon me. Um, and of course, I love my Switch <gasps> as well. Okay. So. okay. I just, I'm just getting a little bit, you know, we're on the ABC. So it's, these are just devices. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You can get any Brandless generic device. None of yes. these are branded. They're home <laughs> brand electronic devices. This is the particular console device that uh, is portable. So you can play it via the television and you can bring it around. Exactly. And they're Oliver's, they're not ours. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, now I feel okay. All right. But okay, Oliver. 
Unpack your giant bag of, of plushies, please. What is in here? So and give us a running commentary. I, I've been collecting plushies ever since I was a kid, and um, my collection just kept on growing thanks to those claw machines. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you uh, have a problem? Because my sister has a problem yeah. with I those machines. I spent all my pocket money on those claw machines, and I went to Japan, and I learned the ancient art of um, the claw machine. It is not about picking up the toys. It's actually about pushing other toys down and creating... Opportunities for them to fall down, and I saw it in action in Japan. It just blew my mind, and it's it breaks my heart because in Australia, they actually don't make them to win. They make them to get, to get money. Which I was going to say outrageous. They're rigged. I would have never thought. You heard it here. I didn't think that they were possible to actually win. So you actually have won things from them. I have. Yes. Oh, that's you right. need to see my sister's collection. It is worrying. Yeah, wow. yeah. But the trick is, it's like almost like walking around poker machines. I guess you have to just walk around and see which ones have been pushed in the right direction before you leap in. How so. much of you actually wants the toy, and how much of you is treating it like a sport? Like, what, what's the reward here? I must admit, half the fun is actually getting the toy, I think, because, mm. I, I mean, you, nowadays I'm kind of lazy. I get the toys off EB Games or, or other great toy stores out other, there, I suppose. Yeah. Yes, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, I appreciate and, that. But, yeah, so I, I, just, I just buy them now, but, they, I mean, occasionally I will go into... Um, a cinema and see those claw machines. And if there is something that uh, that I think I can get, I would sink in money into it. And yeah, there's nothing greater than seeing the actual come down and actually go, oh yes, it's mine. So, so you yeah. thought you were coming to a live radio show. This is actually an intervention. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you've got a Shrek. I got Shrek. a Shrek. Shrek is kind of ironic actually because he started off as a story about um, you know someone who was despised and lives in a swamp and then he became popular thanks to the movies and then YouTube happened and then he's back to being like, you know, like a bit of a, okay, a scary character. This? this is my little Donatello plushie. Oh, okay. Mm. All right, a well. Donatello plushie so, um, Ninja Turtle. This is We're just my, filling up the table now. Yeah, so these are all my Pokemon based on... I mean, most of the toys I actually got... Can you name these got, Pokemon as they come out of the bag, please? Uh, yep, so we got T-Pig here, which is one of the okay. um, Gen 4 we got Pikachu. starters. Is this Sonic? O Oliver, to what extent do you feel like some collectors really need to keep Oliver's their, their plushies them as he takes in, them out. in mint condition? Do you, do you care about that necessarily? Um, not really, no, because I know some people do actually buy two. They, they, one, they, they have one wrapped up and then they have another one kind of like um, to play. But I, I, just, I, just, I just play with them straight away. So the day I ever have kids will be the day that I'll be like, yep, they, they, can, they can definitely be played uh, with and, my and, and kids. So, so right now they don't, they don't live in like a, a kid's bedroom or a nursery anywhere. Where, where do they live? Um, a lot of them are on my bed, um, which is kind of weird for my wife, but uh, <laughs> we've um, spoken about it. No, it's okay. No, no, um, a lot of them are actually kept in, 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 in a cupboard, actually. Okay. So I have a set of traveling toys. So when I go traveling around Australia, I usually just bring this because, you know, I don't want to be fishing on board security one day with a suitcase so, full of toys. Um, Oliver, mm. so you get to the hotel room and you put all the plushies on the bed so it's like you're sleeping in your bed at home. Is that what you do? That's what I do. That, that's yeah. how I have my, my little home space there. No, so, what do yeah. you actually do with these toys? Um, so, no, I love <laughs> Besides carry them around, I love them. Um, what I do is I, I display them men and the kids come in and they go, what does God have all these toys for? And another question... Did you write Pokemon? I'm like, no, I wish I did. Uh, but I, I tell kids that like, when it comes to writing stories, playing is such a great thing. And yes, you can play games, but for me, when I was a kid, I was playing with toys. So my sister and I would spend hours and hours you know, playing with like, you know, Woody and T-Rex and Mario. It's, a, uh, it's, an, it's like a bottomless bag, everybody. It is actually, yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a magic oh, bag. Oh, yeah. 
this is one of my oh, okay, just brought just up his so everyone knows we pulled out a, a vintage bright blue Care Bear. Does this particular Care Bear have, uh, does she or he have a name or? Yeah, so um, so this is Grumpy Bear. And oh. so my sister is a massive Care Bear fanatic. She has over 400 Care Bears. And she has limited edition ones that like uh, hard to get these days. But this is the one of the original 80s Care Bears. And I was allowed to have one Care Bear and I picked Grumpy Bear because he was blue. And also, I like Grumpy because he's like the anti-Care Bear. He's the one that's allowed to be grumpy and be a little bit sarcastic and be a little mm. bit mean sometimes. The subversive Care Bear. Yes, that's right. So he was out there. He was the original sort of trendsetter I back actually then. am having feelings seeing this original Care Bear. Uh, and, and, I, and I want to, can I, may I? Thank Beverly, you. Beverly, don't, don't. This is a gateway towards something dark. <laughs> Oliver's letting me stroke his grumpy bear. And just I'm, so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm connecting with my like inner baby. child on live radio. Beverly, yeah. you're breastfeeding the cat. <laughs> <laughs> I it's should okay. warn you, he's legal, okay? Okay? It's legal, okay? It's legal. Oliver, can I ask you, as you bring out these toys that span the world of Pokemon and Nintendo, Disney, Disney, um, DC Comics, uh, you seem very omnivorous when it comes to your pop culture interests. Are there any particular like franchises or properties where you think, actually, no, that's just trash and I don't care for it? Well, you know what? I, I never want to be um, one of those pop culture snobs, I think, mm. because a lot of people have, you know, and I, I respect that because, you know, what what one person loves may be another person's trash, you know, and and vice versa as well. So, I mean, there are some things like like Jenna mentioned, like she watches Riverdale, which means she's not a big fan of it. She will still watch it. I, I don't go that far. I, I would because <laughs> there's just too many things to watch, too many things to play. I don't have time to watch things that other kids are into. So what I do is if if I'm into it. That's great. Are you into it too? That's cool as well. But I will not watch something for the sake of it. So, I think yeah. Jenna needs a right of reply I just here. Wanna, <laughs> defend I just yourself. Yeah. I don't watch Riverdale for the sake of it. I watch it because I'm trash. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and right, right, I can't yeah. look away from it. Now, <laughs> now, this is interesting. You've just self-confessed as being trash. Yes. You are a self-confessed nerd. Now, both of these labels have been used as pejoratives towards people for their interest in pop culture. Jenna, I want to start with you. Why is it liberating and important to self-declare yourself as trash. <laughs> well, I just think a lot of these things, a lot of my passions are traditionally described as guilty pleasures, I suppose. Mm. And I don't believe in feeling guilty about anything that brings you pleasure, as long as it's not harming other people, obviously. But, um, yeah, I just think it's just... If something brings me joy, I embrace it. And R Riverdale does not bring me joy. <laughs> it once brought me joy. Just to, just to recap, Riverdale is the Netflix show that yes. is based on the Archie comics yeah. originally, right? Yeah, so I love Archie and the characters. And so I, when I first started watching Riverdale, the first five episodes are incredible. Um, and it really hooked me in and it just took an abrupt dive off a cliff after that and it's just it's like um the storylines are basically like it seems like the writers sit in the room and spin a wheel um just to like and like see what it lands on episode of the week yeah well it's like okay archie today is in the mob and then he's going to be attacked by a bear while he's <laughs> shirtless um so but no like it's one of those i kind of hate watching now i can't look away but i, I do enjoy a lot of other shows that aren't as bad um, but i think like the wonderful thing about the internet is you can talk about these things and connect with other fans and say that you're trash and other people are like yeah I love trash too like and um, you know there's kind of a celebration of it which is a lot of fun mm. when do you think we'll stop calling it trash then and just talk about it Ooh. like it's what we love and so be it 
That's interesting. I mean, I guess we've kind of like reclaimed the term That's true. trash. Yeah. Um, you know, and like where, like, especially if you're on, say, Twitter, like, which is just full of garbage and garbage people, but like, we're all garbage people. A joyful on there. trash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Mm. Um, so drink the bin juice. <laughs> <laughs> I live in the garbage. <laughs> Oliver, what about you? Why is it important for you to reclaim and self-declare yourself as a nerd? Yeah, you know, I was one of those kids that actually embraced that word nerd. Like, I didn't mind being called a nerd um, or a geek or anything like that. And you know. Um, nerd was a dirty word back when I was growing up, but thanks to the Big Bang Theory, thanks to um, you know anything Marvel, like it's okay to wear a T-shirt now with Star Wars on it. That's unbelievable. Like you know, back in my day, um, if you wore that, you would be seen as a, like, oh, that, that, what a geek or like what. But now you can you know wear whatever you like, and it's it's all cool. it's all cool. But the thing about being a nerd is that, and I found this is that there are like like once you go into like the the, the nerdy dungeon, you'll see that there are so many levels <laughs> of nerddom, yeah. and other nerds will look down on other nerds. And so this talk of like, would there ever be, um, would there ever be a scenario where there's no trash? There, I don't think there'll ever be, because there will always have to be something down below, below, below. And so, um, and, and, we, and at the same time, the internet allows you to be okay with having those sub-genres of being a nerd. So no. there are people out there who can dress up as a knight doing some sort of cool cosplay kind of thing and also like eating sushi as well. And that, that's a little thing in itself. So, now, yeah. on the other hand, I think with the mainstream of the nerds mm. comes this idea that people who are not really nerds at all calling themselves nerds when they have a light surface knowledge of whatever they're nerding out on. Does that... Do you ever think about that? Does that bother you? Um, you know what? It, it doesn't because I was one of those people as well. And, you know, I know uh, when I talk to adults and they talk about, have you seen the latest insert streaming show here? I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I haven't seen it. I haven't watched it, but I know some of it. And so I'm the same as well. So I sometimes I will be that service level kind of person and mention something and they'll look at me and go, you haven't seen the show, the show haven't you? You reveal yourself like, as a basic nerd. Yes, that's mm. right. So I find that it's okay to be basic in some things <laughs> and be pro in other things because you can't be pro in everything unless you are immortal. Jenna, you're self-described garbage and trash, which I respect and adore. Um, But you're also a nerd in your own way. You're a nerd for rom-coms, YA, reality show, Mm -hmm. romance. We had a bit of a show-and-tell from Oliver. You haven't necessarily brought a bag of things to share, but you've already (laughs) started sharing with us uh, the joys, ecstasies and pains of Riverdale. When it comes to the other obsessions that are occupying your mind at the moment, where are we going to go? Oh, well, I think um, what am I... I'm really obsessed with... um, terrible romance movies actually. What makes them terrible um, because romance (laughs) movies can be good obviously. They can, oh there's so many good ones to clarify again, I do like good things as well (laughs) Um, and so I love good rom-coms We'll take that as a given. Yeah, yeah, okay, good So like I love good rom-coms, as I said before, to all the boys I've loved before, um, Crazy Rich Asians, I'm really excited about Last Christmas, oh my god, that's like my most anticipated movie of the year Um, Okay, tell us a little bit about why, who's in that Tell, get, take a so step. last Christmas has Amelia Clark is the lead and also it, known as Daenerys Targaryen Daenerys from Targaryen. Game of Thrones and is it Henry Golding? From yes, from Crazy Rich oh, Asians. Okay. Oh yes, yes, and it's based I'm on there. the Wham classic Last Christmas. That's mm. the inspiration for the plot, and um, it's written by Emma Thompson. It's set in London. It's just like everything. I'm like, did you make this movie for me? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it, yeah, so it comes out in November, and I'm really excited about that. So 
that's, I think that'll be good. I hope that'll be good. But I really love as well Netflix um, and also Hallmark and those kind of channels make these really kind of cliched mm. romance movies that you can tell what it's going to happen with just without even just hearing the title. You're like, I know exactly what's going to happen in that whole movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was Hallmark also responsible for the remake, the remake of Beaches with Barbara Hershey and Bette Midler? Wait, I did not even know Ooh. there was a there remake. There is a remake, Whoa. a reboot of Beaches. No. That's a whole other rabbit hole we can explore oh, further. Gosh. But Hallmark does that kind of like almost soft focus. Yes. Everything comes together well in the end. Yes. You love it? I love it. They're, they're really terrible, but I love them. They just like it's you just enter this world for an hour and a half where the biggest problem is like she spilled a bit of coffee on her dress and like he clearly loves her but because they're always straight, you know, they're mostly white. It's it's very like it's very terrible on a lot of levels. But um it's just it's a real escape from the real world. <laughs> okay, so I have a follow-up now for both of you because you Clearly, from everything that we've said today and everything that we are now seeing spread around us, we've made a mess of the stage, there's plushies everywhere. We know the depth of it, but I want to know how do you manage all of this and still be functioning, productive adults? I mean, that's bold of you to assume that I'm a functioning (laughs) (laughs) Take us through your day. How do you consume? What do you file away? What do you... How do you do it? And then I want to hear from Oliver from the same. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, so oh. just about rom-coms. As someone who spent 29 and a half years in the, in the friend zone, <laughs> I loved watching rom-coms. And my favorite three are um, 500 Days of Summer, um, with Harry Met Sally, which is the story of my life, and... Ooh. Um, Serpendipity. Oh. Serendipity. Oh. Serendipity, sorry, I'm a, yes. I'm not a fan of Serendipity. Oh, is it? I love it. Oh, my goodness, so good. Anyway. Love, um, yeah. When Harry Met Sally. So what do these, as a self-professed friend zone person, what do yes. these rom-coms represent to you when you watch them? It's like, I can do it. I can make it. Or um, it I will just, get out of the friend zone. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I'm either the guy, I'm, I'm either the guy who... Um, the girls with originally and then gets dumped for insert, you know, Aww. leading star here, which is because I'm, I'm too dependable, you know, it's not fair. Um, You're such you know, a nice guy. I'm too nice, it's like, too nice. But there's a part of me that just relates to that and like, oh man. It's but, so, yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. I don't know, Jenna, what do you think? Because as a female, I've never thought of relating to the male character in a rom com ever before. This is kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah, no, yeah. they're like the fantasy guys. I mean, a lot of the time they're terrible guys, so it's just like, it's escapism, pure escapism. For me. Although, like Peter Kavinsky from To All the Boys I've Loved Before, the, the lead in that, um, if there's a real That's on Netflix, it, if you want to yeah, watch it, definitely watch it on Netflix. He's the dream guy. Okay, so aside from being <laughs> the friend guy, how do you manage? So, so take us through your life. Pie, pie chart. Um, so, sixty percent would be gaming. Thirty uh, percent would be looking at random things like looking at where the best burger place is, because I also do burger grams as well. So that's my second job. Um, 10% is me going on air tasks and saying, hey, anyone out there who wants to be a writer and wants to write from a festival? No, 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 no. That's a lie. That's a scam. Um, no, um, no, 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 I don't have any ghostwriters. But no, um, but honestly, what I do is I, I just melt it all together. And like the switch, um, I can switch in and out so easily when it comes to like writing mode and everything else mode. So um, especially when I travel, what I do is I, I'll, I'll play a bit of games, I'll, I'll, I'll do a session, I'll write for half an hour, I'll go out for a jog, I'll write for half an hour, play some games, chat to people, all that kind of stuff. So I've managed to sort of meld it in into my, uh, my schedule. 
Um, so that's why I always say, like, you know, life is too short to, to read really bad books, to, to read... Uh, unless you like unless it, you enjoy Unless them. you enjoy it, that's fine. Guilty <laughs> pleasures, absolutely, that, that's cool. Um, but I always find that, yeah, like, like, you know, make use of that, that every ounce of time that you've got. So that's what I do, so, yeah. And Jenna, to what extent do you not separate your pop culture interests from work? A, yeah. a huge part of your previous role at editor-at-large for BuzzFeed Australia would have been reporting about, tweeting and updating your readers about this stuff. Absolutely, and I still I'm still writing freelance on um, those kind of things. So it is a, one of the biggest challenges of my life is like there's no separation between work and my home life because especially now that I'm a freelancer, I'm actually working at home. So like I could watch a TV show and I'm like, well, this I could write about this. So it's kind of work. Um, so Everything <laughs> is tax deductible. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Oh yeah, I claim my Netflix, I claim my stand, everything. Um, but no, and then even like with books as well, you know, that was that's always been a pleasure, but that's kind of work now as well because I write books and when you read, you've got your writer brain switched on a lot of the time. Um, I've really tried to... Um, I'm trying to find like hobbies that I'm not going to monetize because um, it really, there's, it's a good problem to have in that I enjoy what I do for work, but then what I enjoy starts to feel like work. Mm. So that's a big challenge. Because as you're watching something and you're enjoying it or you're not enjoying it, your writer brain is what, kicking in and saying, yeah, why am I not enjoying this? Yeah. Why should other people enjoy this, etc." Yeah, absolutely. It's, whenever I watch something, it'll either be like, okay, what can I write about this? Okay, there's all these ideas. Who am I going to pitch it to? Um, that kind of thing. So it's, um, it's never um, just a relaxing kind of thing for me. Mm. <laughs> Oliver, I just want to make it take it a little bit serious now, mm -hmm. um, because as you've displayed to us, you're a huge gamer, and gaming uh, sometimes gets a bad rap, doesn't yeah. it? Mm. And uh, we've seen recently, uh, we've debunked this on Stop Everything, this uh, purported connection between gaming and mass violence. The data is not there, but the, the, the stereotype persists. Mm. As a gamer, when you see these kinds of things, what is your reaction? How do you respond? Do you see why people might think that? Do you, are you a, like a, a games evangelist? What, what do you do? You know, it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, I, um, a part of me wants to spill out the facts, you know, things like, uh, you know, the average age of a gamer is 33, 34. You know, most adults play gaming. Um, the kids who play games aren't meant to be playing them because of, you know, parental grounds, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, even though there's no data, like, we can't escape the fact that a game is interactive. You know, there's, there's, it, it, it transcends watching a movie or a TV show. You're actually playing the game, you're, you're, you're doing something, you're, you're, you're being that character. And so I find that um, I, I'm sort of on, on, on both sides, I guess. So I do love gaming, and it does break my heart to see people you know, make games to scapegoat, but at the same time, it's not in, entirely like untrue about things that they've said. So, yeah. Um, Jenna, similarly, when it comes to something like reality television, that will get a bad rap. I've had this debate online, especially with people who've never watched reality television and they say they never will because the entire genre just rots your brain. Now, of course, I'm slightly biased because I was on a reality TV show <laughs> myself, Filthy Rich and Homeless, on, on SBS. What, what's your counter to that? I mean, I think with any category of entertainment, there's really good examples and really smart examples and there's really terrible examples and I think you can't write off a whole genre or a whole category of something on a few bad examples. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, what, what, expand on that for us. I mean, when it comes to like, what, what separates a bad reality TV yeah. show from a good reality TV show? For drama, for instance, we can see sometimes drama's just poorly written or it's poorly produced, poorly acted. It's a bit cliched. It's stereotyped. The good ones really challenge us and bring us to new stories. Within the realm of reality TV, what are the criteria for good and bad reality TV? Well, I think that would be really subjective. For me personally, um, it's bad if it kind of reinforces a lot of toxicity and um, really negative things. Um, for instance, like Married at First Sight is something that I stopped watching because it just, um, the men on that show a lot of the time was so toxic and the dynamics um, that played out were really damaging and horrible and I did not enjoy watching that and at yet all. It I mean, was a, a massive of... ratings winner. I mean, I got sucked yeah. in. I couldn't look away. Mm. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I was like, I was a huge fan of Married at First Sight in the first season when it was like six couples and they went off to live together. It was a really and, oh, big when it was social boring. experiment. It was a social experiment. They, like, awesome. they really tried to mm. be like high-minded about it. And um, I was really fascinated to see how these couples would interact. But now it's all about, okay, like they're all switching, um, you know, switching at the dinner parties. It's like, I'm more interested in that person it feels like they're more there for the Instagram followers. And it kind of brings up both duty of care issues, but also to what extent are we broadcasting and encouraging people to watch abusive behaviour? Absolutely. There's so much gaslighting on that show where, like, they just... Um, you know, it's mostly the men, but some of the, the women as well have. There's been a few women that have been really awful. And with that in mind, men. what makes a really good reality TV show, at least for you? Oh, I mean, for me, I um, something that's just entertaining, and I don't mind. You know, people say, "Well, it's not really reality." Well, no, but it's um, you know, it's real people in the in this kind of constructed situation and yes they're produced but as long as it's produced well and it's entertaining um you know i'm into that and like with the bachelor for instance like i i just love watching people fall in love <laughs> we are almost at the end of our live broadcast from the brisbane writers festival but to close i want to get from both of you we've talked a little bit a lot about embracing your nerd and the value and benefit of being a nerd so if you could speak to adults who may have some nerdy kids in their lives or speak even to the nerdy kids out there. What do you want to say to the, the parents of nerds, the grandparents of nerds, or the nerds themselves about the value of being a nerd? I want to have, hear maybe 30 seconds from Jenna and I want to hear 30 seconds from Oliver. I would say the value of being a nerd is it brings joy to your life um, and I think it makes the world a better place because I think nerds are some of the best people. And I also think for me personally, like I've made a career out of it, which is really fun. And when, you know, I spent so much time on the internet as a teenager, which my mum nagged me about, but I was able to turn it into a career. So don't worry if your kids are on the internet. How do you <laughs> encourage the parents of nerds to let, to let their nerds flourish? I wouldn't say nerd. I would say expert. Okay. <laughs> I would say a leading expert in a very um, niche field, a pioneer, um, <laughs> a truth seller, you know, um, all those kind of things. So, yes. And wearing glasses is okay as well. <laughs> <laughs> and with that in mind, it's time for us four nerds to shuffle off the stage and the airwaves now. But can we please get a big round of applause for our wonderful guests, Jenna Guillaume and Oliver Pomervan, Pom everyone. <laughs> 
you. To you and the Brisbane Writers Festival who came, uh, and the audience who came out today, it has been great to see you. Thanks also to the producers and technical crew on the ground here in Brisbane and back at the home base in Melbourne. We couldn't do it without you. And as always, you can write to us, artsonrn at abc.net.au, artsonrn at abc.net.au. Everybody here, if you are not subscribed, get your phones out and subscribe to the Stop Everything podcast. I'll even show you how to do that after the show. Uh, share with your friends, like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.